Uh, and this is a great morning uh, to be here with us. We're starting a new sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's kind of right in the middle of your Bible. So if you haven't found that yet, you may want to go there and, and open up to Ecclesiastes um, chapter 1. Uh, and uh, the, the title of this uh, sermon series is uh, Good God, Good, uh, Good Life, Good God. And, uh, and so uh, it's, it's about the pursuit of the good life. We, we see this in Ecclesiastes where uh, Solomon has been pursuing the good life and uh, he's been reflecting on his pursuit of the good life. And if we're honest, all of us are, are seeking uh, the good life. And it's different things for different people, right? For some of us, it's leisure. For some of us, it's pleasure. For some of us, it's travel. Uh, for some of us, it's financial independence, uh, which you kind of need financial independence if you're going to go for the whole pleasure travel thing. Uh, for some of us, it's enduring health or productive work. Um, for some, it's participation in a worthy cause. Uh, and uh, for others, uh, it may be just deep relationships. You want to have relationships that are romantic or relationships with family or relationships uh, with friends, but, but probably some kind of combination of those things. And ultimately, probably the, the, the thing that ties those all together is we want whatever it is that we're pursuing to be deeply meaningful, right? This is, this is what we're pursuing for, we're longing for, we're working hard toward, and for most of us, as we work hard for that meaningful thing, whatever that thing is, it seems just beyond our grasp. And we start to think, maybe it's just me. Maybe, you know, you're scrolling through your Instagram at all the curated photos, and you're thinking, everyone else has the good life, and I just can't seem to get the good life. And so, uh, good news or bad news, however you want to look at it, um, Everyone feels that way. <laughs> this is part of the human condition, that this pursuit of the good life and then that good life just feeling like it's just beyond our grasp. And, and case in point is Ecclesiastes. I mean, this is a 3,000-year-old book, and this is part of what this book is lamenting, that this pursuit of the good life and this inability to grasp the good life. And so Ecclesiastes was given to us to, to clarify this condition, but also give us a remedy uh, for that uh, condition. You, you see the beginning of the clarification of the condition there in Ecclesiastes 1, starting with verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Uh, there's some important vocabulary here uh, that are, it's pretty important vocabulary to understanding the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. So one is the preacher. Uh, this is a little hard to translate. It comes from the Hebrew word uh, kohelet, but it has uh, some sense of a preacher or a teacher who is very wise. And so this, this very wise teacher is, is helping us to reflect on this pursuit of the good life. And, and so Ecclesiastes uh, consequently is known as part of the, the, the wisdom literature that is in uh, the, the Bible. And so wisdom literature uh, is, is given to us to teach us how to live well in the midst of the complexities of life. Okay, it's a little different than the thou shalt and thou shalt not that are just very clear cut, very black and white. 
Uh, wisdom literature is given to us to, to sort out the complexities. Um, and so, for instance, part of wisdom literature is Proverbs. So Proverbs is like common sense uh, kinds of truisms that you can follow to help you navigate the complexities of life. The Song of Solomon is part of wisdom literature, and it's wisdom for the relationship between husband and wife. Um, Job is part of wisdom literature, so this is to, to help you navigate the complexities of intense suffering uh, in the world, especially if you followed everything Proverbs uh, said to do and then you still are suffering, and Job is helping you sort out that complexity. And then Ecclesiastes, right? It's, it's helping us deal with the sense of meaninglessness that many of us, most of us as human beings uh, are experiencing. Um, another vocabulary word there is what's being translated vanity um, or hevel, and it literally means uh, breath or a vapor. And uh, of course, English Standard Version is translating this vanity. Uh, most translation, modern translations translate it vanity. Uh, uh, New International Version, I think, says meaninglessness. But it has that sense of emptiness, of shallowness, like, like a vapor, right? You look in your backyard on a, on a, on a cold morning and, and you see the mist and you say, I'm going to walk out and I'm going I'm to see that mist up close and personal. And you try to get close to it and then it disappears, right? You, you just can't quite grasp it. And so Solomon uses this word hevel uh, to talk about life, <laughs> saying that it is meaningless. It is uh, like a vapor. Uh, the the uh, vocabulary word toil, um, maybe a definition of that would be unproductive labor resulting in exhaustion. We first see this in Genesis chapter 3 uh, as part of the consequence for sin. After Adam sins and Eve sin, uh, they're, they're told that their work is going to be toil. It's going to be hard. It's going, there's going to be a sense in which it's unproductive. And at the end of it, you're going to feel unsatisfied and exhausted. Uh, the final word or phrase that's uh, in the vocabulary of Ecclesiastes is this phrase, under the sun. And uh, it's Solomon's uh, term for everything that's observable in the world, right? Everything that is seen uh, is life under the sun. And what Solomon's doing here is, is, is he's saying, uh, he's kind of putting on his humanist hat, his secularist hat, and he's saying, okay, I'm going to observe what's under the sun, what is seen, what is observable, and then I'm going to make conclusions based only on what I can see in the seen world. Uh, and then every once in a while he's going to put on his theologian cap and he's going to answer some of those questions that he's set up with his observations in the seen world. And he's going to answer those questions from the unseen world. He's going to uh, answer those questions based on truth that's given to us through revelation, right? So again, think about it this way. He's setting up questions with his observation in the seen world. He's answering those questions with knowledge he's been given from the unseen world. You might think of it like this, a two-dimensional box versus a three-dimensional box, right? So a two-dimensional box is like the observable, uh, observable world, right? And, and, and so this is, this is what you can see with your eyes and hear with your ears, and you can put under a microscope. Um, and so it, it, he's saying, okay, let's say that's all you know. If you, all you know is this, then these are the, the observations and, the, and conclusions that I come up with. And then he'll contrast with the 3D understanding of reality, which is that there's a whole unseen part of reality, including, obviously, the existence 
uh, of God. So you may look at this and, and say, okay, well, Solomon, even though you're, you're, you're making conclusions based on your observations in the seen world alone, I don't think it should be as depressing as, as you say it is. I, I don't think you can say it's, it's vanity and, and uh, that it has no meaning. Um, and so I think Solomon's answer to you is that he would then double down on his declaration that life merely in the observable world is vanity. And he picks that argument up uh, pretty quickly in verse 4 where he says, A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And this is one of his key observations here, is, is the cyclical nature of life, right? This is a, this is a big, big theme. And so it makes you think kind of the, the circle of life uh, from the Lion King. You may, if you're into to Disney and you've seen the Lion King and you know that the, the sort of mentor father, Mufasa, is uh, giving, uh, in, you know, kind of mentoring and giving truth to, to Simba, the young, the young king-to-be, and Mufasa says this, Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. As king, you need to understand that the, the, the balance and respect for all creatures, from the crawling ant to the leaping antelope. And young Simba says, But Dad, don't we eat the antelope? And then Mufasa says, Yes, Simba, but let me explain. When we die, our bodies become the grass, and the antelope eat the grass, and so we are all connected in the great circle of life, right? And then there's a big song, circle of life, right? And, and so Lion King tries to make this out to be like a positive thing, right? Like, oh, the circle of life, it's so beautiful. And, and Solomon looks at it and goes, are you kidding? This is depressing, right? One generation is born, gets old, dies, passes on to the next generation, they just do the same thing. And they get old, and they die, and they pass on to the next generation. It's the same thing. It's just this cycle over and over and over. And while that cycle's going on, the earth just seems to be doing the same thing. Right? Like, like, like check out the earth. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. You see it? The cycle of the sun. The wind blows to the south, it goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full, to the place where the streams flow and where they flow again, right? It's like this cycle of the, the, the water goes to the sea and it evaporates and it rains and it just goes back and it's just the same old thing over and over and over again. That things don't feel like they're going to any kind of culmination. It's just a cycle. Um, uh, Derek Kidner, who uh, has, has written several commentaries, and I'm, I'm relying on him heavily for insight into this book, uh, he says that the cyclical nature that Solomon's talking about, it's one of his pointers to despair. All right, so there'll be more pointers uh, to come, but this is one of his pointers to despair. And look at the despair that he describes here, verse 8. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. And so he, he, he goes on to kind of build on this argument of, okay, life is cyclical, 
which leads to a lack of satisfaction and, and uh, weariness. Right? And so he's like, if, if, if this is life, if this is all there is, like this cyclical nature, there's this huge weariness and lack of, of, of satisfaction. Now, you, you can be weary and satisfied. Like, that's not a bad weariness, right? You've worked really hard. You're weary, but you can look at the fruit of your labor and say, wow, that was so worth it. And there's, there's a satisfaction to it. But what he's describing here is working really hard and then looking at what the, the, the fruit of your labor is or the lack of fruit of your labor is and being absolutely unsatisfied. And this is, this is what he's describing as, as a result of the cyclical nature. It ties into that toil idea, this working hard to the point of exhaustion and having really nothing to show for your hard work. And Solomon says, this is vanity. This is emptiness. This is hollowness. Um, now, I mean, think of your friend coming to you. They're, they're down. They're depressed. They, they're saying, you know, I've tried to, to accomplish the good life. Uh, I can't seem to get there. Uh, I'm weary of the, of the rat race. I, I don't think I can continue on. And uh, imagine saying to your friend, you know, actually, your search for the good life is an absolute waste of time. That would be your, your, your counsel to them. Um, that in the entire seen world, there is nothing that will satisfy that longing, that hunger that's, that's in your soul. Uh, that anyone who says to you, they've come up with something new that's going to actually satisfy you, a, a new job, a new pleasure, a new trip, a new relationship, they're lying. There's absolutely nothing new under the sun that's going to satisfy you. You're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree, so to speak, right? Now, the person might come back and say, okay, okay, okay. okay. So there's, there may be nothing in this world that's actually going to satisfy me, but I'm going to leave my mark. I'm going to leave a meaningful legacy. And this is Solomon's comeback to even that kind of idea. Verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. <laughs> so now he's saying the cyclical nature destroys one's hope of a meaningful legacy. So not only does it destroy the experience of satisfaction in, the, in this life, it destroys the hope of a meaningful legacy in the future. It, it, it's sort of, of Solomon's way of have, having you do a little thought experiment um, where they're, they're like, okay, do you remember the meaningful things that your great-grandfather and great-grandmother did? Do you? And you're like, no. Well, what, what makes you think that your great-grandchildren are going to remember what you did? No one cares, right? This the cyclical nature of generation after generation being born, growing old, dying, passing the torch, is, is this sense of vanity, meaninglessness, both in this life and then even the attempt to try to pass on that meaning to the next generation. These are his, quote, under the sun observations. And they are, if again, if this is all we're working with, they are a pointer to despair. And this is what he wants to do. He's doubling down on uh, our sort of worship and veneration of the bright side, because this is what we do, right? We look on the bright side, right? Look at the bright side. You have your health. Uh, you have friends. Uh, it's a beautiful day, right? 
the sun will come out tomorrow, right? This, this, is, this is what we do. But if we make honest observations about life under the sun, I think we have to agree the preacher is right. That Solomon is right. That if this is all there is, this stuff's like a vapor. It, it cannot be grasped as hard as we might try. It is vanity. I mean, try this little, the sun will come out tomorrow, pep talk on an elderly person who's sitting in a nursing home. They, they can barely see or hear or taste. They, they've been losing friends and family left and right, some because of death and some because no one just, no one comes by. Like they become completely irrelevant. No one cares about them. Uh, they don't find time to, to visit them. They're losing their relationships. They're, they're perhaps even losing their mind. Like all these bright side kinds of uh, pep talks that may have worked when they were 30, uh, even when they were 50, they're vanity. They're in the vanity column. They have, uh, they're no longer able to be uh, grasped. And so Solomon, most likely, he's at the end of his life. Like he's, he's doing this kind of reflection work where he's looking at all the things he's pursued with the inexhaustible resources. And he's looking at what, what, what the result was, and he's saying that was absolute vanity. Now, most of us, young or old, we do not want to participate in this thought experiment. We, we do not want to go with Solomon <laughs> to this place of, of, of really observing life under the sun and coming to these um, conclusions. I mean, we, we worship the bright side. We, you know, especially if you're from the U.S. Like, the, like, this is the way we talk. This is the way we think. It's the look on the bright side. We, I mean, we, we've seen this with, with our, our talk around COVID, right? We've been having the, the bright side talk since March. And, and we just keep telling ourselves, look at the bright side. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we'll have a vaccine tomorrow, right? Like, like the bright side is something that we are literally, we're relying on for our hope. And Solomon is saying, that, that is vanity. That is absolute vanity. And, and to some degree, COVID has stripped us of some of that reliance, right? Things that we uh, sort of, sort of, unthinkingly relied on, like in-person classes and in-person work, in-person relationships with friends and family, job security, a booming economy, getting to, 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 to come to in-person church. You know, all these things that, that we uh, just kind of unthinkingly relied on for meaning, these things have been taken away from us. And we're starting to realize maybe those things didn't have as much weight as we thought. Maybe they weren't uh, as graspable as we thought they were. These things are vanity. These things are a mist. And it's shaken us up a bit. And my hope is that that, that experience, but also our, our experience of Ecclesiastes, will help us move beyond the sun. And I think this is really the, the major point <laughs> of Ecclesiastes, is to honestly observe what's under the sun and then allow that to, to move us beyond the sun. Now, I think these haunting observations that we find in Ecclesiastes can push us at least in three different ways. And two, two are not helpful, and one is where I think Solomon wants us to go. One is to push us off the cliff of despair. As we kind of go down this hole of observing what what is... Uh, 
you know, what we can grasp in the observable world, in the, in the world under the sun. We can become very uh, despairing that, that life is not worth living. Number two, uh, we can just double down on trying to create meaning out of the observable life. That uh, we're like, no, Solomon, you're wrong. And I will show you that this life in the, in the seen world has absolute ultimate uh, meaning. And it's, it's very much what's happening right now. I think in our, in our country, I think there's, there's a lot of desire to make meaning out of the, the observable world. And this is so different than like the 90s. I remember when I was first working with teenagers in the 90s and they were listening to Nine Inch Nails and, and uh, it, it was like this, this nihilism kind of a vibe and a grunge scene and everything was like despair and hopelessness. And, and uh, that, is, that is not the, the kind of vibe right now. That's not the kind of vibe that's coming from, from the, the music, popular music. And so what it feels like right now is, is that the younger generation is going to grab the world by the horns and they're going to drag it into this better future, kicking and screaming. And, and that's not all bad. But, but if that desire to see meaning happen in this world is detached from the one who is meaning itself, you're headed for a bottomless pit of despair. That, that, attributing ultimate meaning to this world, this seen world, the world under the sun, results in vanity. It, it results in despair. And you, say, and you say, well, no, it's different. We're different. We're a different generation. We're, we're going to actually bring meaning out of this seen world. And it, it's so interesting because, it, you know, it, it's such, so reminiscent. Not that I was there. I was there for two years in the 60s. Okay, I was born in 68. But it's reminiscent of the 60s, right? There's a lot of protests, a lot of civil rights protests, a lot of peace protests. And that generation was like grabbing the world by the horn and was going to drag it into this new future, which some, some good changes came out of that. But honestly, those peace protesters from the 60s became the boomer generation, and they're all in Florida right now trying to figure out the good life, right? I mean, the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> and again, I, this is what you see being taught in Ecclesiastes, the cyclical nature of how human beings uh, experience life. And so Obviously, we, we, we don't want to go to despair. We also don't want to just double down on squeezing meaning out of the, the scene life alone. Uh, and so number three, uh, we want it to push us to meaning beyond the sun. That, that's what this is about. That's what this book is about. And it's interesting, again, go back to Lion King. You've never seen Lion King. I just apologize up front that you don't know what I'm talking about. But the thing that kicks Simba into high gear is he gets uh, a visitor, his, his dad, the ghost of his father, comes to him from the unseen. And, and once Mufasa comes to him from the unseen and reminds him who he is, then he snaps into action and he becomes the king he's supposed to, to come. It, it's not another song about the circle of life that gets Simba all fired up. It's a transcendent experience. And, and this is what we need, right? We, we need to encounter what is, and more specifically, who is in the unseen. And when we do, then we can come back to the scene and give the seen world its proper meaning. I mean, Jesus comes from the unseen to the scene, right? That's part of what the incarnation is. Like, 
he, God steps out of the unseen into the, the scene to reveal himself to us. Mark 8, Jesus uh, sounds very much like Solomon here. Uh, he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? See, it sounds very Solomonic, right? He's, he, he's definitely pulling from Ecclesiastes when he asks these, these questions. And, and Jesus is agreeing with Solomon that if, even if you have inexhaustible resources to purchase everything that this world under the sun has to offer, all the pleasures, all, all the trips, all the meaningful causes, all, all of the, the productive work, if you, could, you could, like if you're Bill Gates and you could buy any and all of that, you, you lose your soul. Right? You, you gained nothing. You've resulted in loss not gain. And so it, it, instead, what, what Christ is, is saying is the alternative, is to turn to him for gain. Right? That he is the ultimate gain. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. Um, so let's, let's talk about different, different kinds of folks that are watching this and, and their response to this. And so for those who are not yet uh, Christian, this is, this is what uh, I want to challenge you. Uh, to do, uh, to allow yourself to honestly consider the argument that Solomon is making in Ecclesiastes. Like, is this really, is this, is this true? Like, like if, if I look at what is in the observable world and this is all there is, what, it, what are my conclusions about the meaning of that experience? Especially when I think about growing old and dying, right? Is, is Solomon onto something? And then if he is, if, if, if I'm able to look at his argument and agree with that, will, will you open yourself up to the reality of Jesus Christ, the one who came from the unseen into the seen, to die for your sins and to reconcile you with the God who is unseen, that can then give meaning to life under the sun, but then and only if. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you to, to, to be open to Solomon's argument, to be open to what Christ is offering as the answer uh, to Solomon's argument, to his, his questions, and to explore that. And I, you know, if, if you're just getting started on this journey, uh, to go to uh, mercyhouse365.org slash respond and start reading through some of the, the, the explanation that's there about the gospel, what does it mean that Jesus came, that he died, he rose from the dead. Why is that important? And, uh, and then reach out to us and continue that conversation because uh, you're probably going to have some questions and, and just to begin to, to answer some of these, these questions about life under the sun and life uh, beyond the sun. And then if you are a Christian, I, I think there's a, a couple of responses that are, are we're going to be having these responses throughout this, this series. And one is to confess our, our tendency to rely on the seen world as our ultimate meaning, right? We, we're constantly being tugged back to that, even though we know better that the ultimate meaning is in the unseen, it's, it's in God, we're, we're, we're tugged back uh, into this reliance of uh, the, the seen world as ultimate meaning. And, and I think one of the ways we can figure that out is what are our emotions around getting, losing, or longing for these kinds of things in life under the sun? 
when we get something that we've wanted, that we lose something that we want to keep, that we are longing for something, what, what are our emotions around those things? So here's some examples. Our emotions around romance, right? So interesting. You single people, they're like longing for romance. They want romance. It's like, like this thing I've just got to have. And then talking to people who are now married who are struggling with marriage and how hard it is. And, and it's like both categories uh, are in danger of relying too heavily on marriage and romance for ultimate meaning. And it, it, that marriage and romance can't take the weight of that, right? And it's just, it, it can begin to crush the very gift that romance and marriage can uh, be. Emotions around kids, right? Couples longing, I want to have kids, I want to have kids, I want to have kids. And talking to couples that have kids, my kids are driving me crazy, right? And, and so both camps are in danger of, of relying too heavily on kids for ultimate meaning. Like those kids can't take the weight of that kind of, 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 of ultimate meaning, right? They're not the ultimate meaning. They're a gift from God, and, the, and they have their meaning uh, from Him. Emotions around jobs or degrees, right? Longing for, just, if I could just graduate, if I could just get this entry-level job, if I could just get a better job. And then once you get the job or you're in the degree program, you're like, oh, this is so hard, I'm, I'm so stressed. <laughs> Both camps, right, they're, they're relying on the job or the degree in order to get this ultimate meaning. And so we, we're so tempted to rely on these kinds of things. Even apathy and laziness can be a red flag telling us that we're relying too much on the things under the sun for ultimate meaning. Because when those things let us down, we'll oftentimes distance ourselves from those things. We'll become apathetic and we'll become lazy in regard to those things, right? And, and getting a proper view of those things should compel us to engage with our marriage or our work or our kids or our degree or whatever it is in an appropriate way, right? Because now we understand the meaning that they contain based on ultimate meaning, which is God. So be confessing that out as, as we read Ecclesiastes, be confessing that, flushing that out, using Ecclesiastes to help, help us do that. Uh, and then number, number two, uh, to be encouraged in when you don't feel like you have the things that this world says have ultimate meaning. You can shoot these things down with Ecclesiastes, right? When, when think about advertising that's coming at you and saying, you know, uh, they're 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 saying if if you just had this you know this product that will reverse aging and it costs ten thousand dollars you know a year for you to have this special chemical that's going to take away all your wrinkles and then you'll be happy, right? You can take Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes out like a shotgun and you can shoot that ad down. Right? I don't know if you know what, a, what shooting skeet is. Okay, the Texas is coming out of me here. But, but when you're shooting skeet, there's like these little clay pigeons, they call them, but they're little round clay things. And they, they, they throw them up in the air, and then you take the shotgun and you shoot them down. This is, this is what I'm thinking in my mind, right? It's like the advertiser throws out that clay pigeon of, you, you need this amazing trip, and then you'll be happy. And you pull out Ecclesiastes, and you're like, nope, that's a lie. Or, or uh, if you get this degree at this right school, you'll, you'll get the right job, and you'll be absolutely happy. No. Pull, pull Ecclesiastes out, shoot it down. No. Those, those things aren't necessarily bad, but those things are not going to give us ultimate meaning. 
or buy this house or this car or these clothes and then you'll be happy or buy this car and these clothes and then you'll get the person that you 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 know you want to be romantic with and then you'll be happy right and those things just come up time after time after time and you can pull Ecclesiastes out and you can just shoot it down right because you know better you know better you know from the Word of God you know better again not that these things are are inherently bad but they are not ultimate meaning if you're a Christian you have ultimate meaning you have Christ Right? Remember when we were uh, preaching through Philippians and Paul says in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think about what Paul's saying there. He's saying, if I'm, if I'm living life under the sun, I have Christ and I have gain. If I die and I'm living beyond the sun, I have Christ and I have gain. Right? That's, that's what he's saying. And so we, we have, if we're a Christian, we have ultimate gain, regardless of what's happening in life under the sun. And so this, this gain that we have in Christ is, is not something that we, we have to grasp. It's actually something that's been given to us as a free gift. We're, we're not vainly chasing after Christ trying to grab him and, and he's elusive and we're, 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 we're trying and trying and trying and trying and never quite making it. No, we've been given Christ. It's a gift. So again, if, if, if you're not a, a Christian and, and you're hearing this, to, to receive the person of Christ and the work of Christ, what Christ has done for you on the cross to forgive you of your sins and to reconcile you with God, receive that today. This is your greatest gain, both in this life in the life to come and for the Christian to be reminded. You, you already have your greatest gain. And so as, as you struggle with uh, life under the sun and, and certainly at this time in our, our lives, there has been many struggles and many things that have sort of let us down that, that were once things that we thought we had grasped and yet we still have our ultimate gain in Christ who came and lived a life under the sun and and did so so that he could be even crushed by the life under the sun even to the point of death so that he could save those of us who are under the sun so that we could be forgiven and given new life and given ultimate meaning in Christ let's pray Lord, we come to you just confessing that we, we are so tugged and pulled toward temptation of relying on life under the sun for ultimate meaning. And we prove it on a pretty daily basis with our emotional reactions of things that we long for, things that we have that we uh, don't want to let go of, or things that we lose. Um, and we're just constantly reminded of of these things that we think are ultimate. And Lord, we, we confess that. And we pray for grace to repent from those things, Lord, to, to, to put them in their proper place and to put you in your proper place, Lord, in our hearts as the ultimate treasure. And to bow the knee to you, our King, our Savior, the one who has uh, given all so that we could be saved and rescued uh, from this vanity of this life, Lord. Uh, and also, Lord, help us to understand how 
this ultimate gain infuses meaning back into life under the sun and uh, for the ways that we work and we love our families and we participate in um, worthy causes and all these things, Lord. May they take their proper place uh, by your grace through the work you've done for us at the cross. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.